This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expenses, because when is expensive? I got expenses, because when is expensive? I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting out the stars. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Show for Closers. My name is Kevin Hill here on Freight Waves TV once again uh, this week. And we're going to talk about sales. We always talk about sales. We're going to talk about closing some deals. We're going to talk about what's the next big thing in supply chain technology and freight tech uh, coming up in just a few moments with Ryan Sullivan. I'm sorry, Ryan Sullivan. He's a uh, advisor over at Warehouse. We're going to talk about uh, you know technology trends. We're going to talk about SaaS sales and, and tech sales uh, with an experienced pro with Ryan Sullivan. Uh, first, I want to talk about a, a podcast that I recorded last week. It will come out on Thursday, audio only, but it's with David Hoffeld. I always like talking to David. He's a uh, author of two books, and that is. The Science of Cells and Sell More with Science. He's been on the show a couple times, been on some of the Freight Waves events as, as well. But we had a really great conversation. We talked a lot about, uh, we started off with reflect and flush. And I think that's a very important thing that, that we all need to learn is to be able to reflect on mistakes or errors and then flush them out and focus on improvement and the, the next a challenge that to face and just get better with time rather than beating ourselves up with, you know, being on a bad sales call or a bad poker hand or whatever that may be. So bad at bat, like the Atlanta Braves always have against the New York Mets. So anything like that to reflect and flush, but also about the, the buyer's perception of value and the sales presentation. So perception and presentation and the gap between those two, because that's what stall sells. That's why sales don't get done is because of that gap. And everything that, that David talks about is backed up by science, um, you know, business science, as well as a lot of neuroscience, psychology, anthropology, sociology. So he delves deep into the research aspect of, of the, the sales game and comes up with really science-based buyer's journey uh, type of results, but it, it's really that, that, you know, what we want to present as salespeople is what we think is cool, but that's not necessarily, and oftentimes it's not what the buyer perceives as, as, as value, right? So that, that gap is what kills sales deals. We talk a lot about that and about narrowing that debt, that, that gap with six whys, kind of that discovery phase. Ryan and I will probably talk a little bit about discovery. And, and pain points and, and reasons people buy here in, in just a, a few seconds as well. But Thursday, so this Tuesday, so Thursday on, I think that's March 2nd, I'll drop that into the, the Freightcast and also put that coffee down. 
Uh, wherever you download your podcast, you can download that with the audio only. It's about an hour long. It's, it's really a great conversation. I always like talking to uh, David Hoffeld and uh, talking about the science behind cells. But without further ado, let's jump into supply chain tech and, and cells and what's the next big thing here with Ryan Sullivan. He's an advisor over at Warehouse. Ryan, welcome to Put That Coffee Down. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Uh, thanks for the time today. Uh, you bet. Thank you for for the time as well. So whenever I'm, I'm talking about perception, right, the buyer's perception of value in presentation, what we actually present as benefits and features and a value prop as salespeople, what do you think? What, what are your thoughts on that gap being the deal killer? You have to narrow that gap. You have to get it overlapped. You have to present what the buyer finds of value. And if you don't do that, your chances trend towards zero, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's uh, it's really easy to to be pitching what's in the bag versus truly listening and, and being empathetic to the position that a buyer's in. So, I mean, I think just genuine curiosity and, and openness to to hearing somebody else out and, and putting yourself in their shoes is the key to uh, a detailed discovery, which which gives you the ammo to, to present what's what's truly needed and solves a customer problem. Yeah, you have to listen to generally interested, curious about uh, what they're going through, what their challenges are, what their successes are, to be able to, to match that with a specific product. So, Ryan, thanks for, for joining us here on Put That Coffee Down. And um, I, I'll give you a chance to, to introduce yourself. You're, you're a, a you know, a freight tech and supply chain tech a sales veteran now. And um, what's your, your current life like now? Um, so so currently I'm, I'm working at Warehouse as, as an advisor on their go-to-market front. Um, they have an awesome product for third-party warehousing marketplace. Um, and, you know, in my mind, there is a tremendous need to be closer to customers and be flexible in the world that we live in. So it was really logical fit for me. So working with them, I have two kids under two. I used to play poker for a living, so still uh, getting some hands in and uh, and studying up to to master the crafts that that I spend the most time doing. I, another thing that brings up the, the, the poker history, uh, you know, flush or reflect and flush, right? And is important in sales. You know, you have good sales calls, you have bad call, sales calls, you have sales calls you think are going to be good that turn out bad. You have bad sales calls that turn out to be good. And it's a lot like playing poker, right? You can't uh, go full tilt whenever you're playing hands of cards and expect to, 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 to win any money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really process over results, right? Like, so in poker, if you have pocket aces and somebody else goes all in before the flop, you should call every time, even though you're an 82% chance on average, 82 to 18% chance to win. I, I feel the same thing is true with sales and sales leadership. If you can develop a methodology that is proven and people believe in, you know, the, the best analogies are poker or baseball, where even if you do everything perfectly, you identify customer with the highest propensity to buy, you're curious you ask the right questions, you're at the right level, it's still not a one-size-fits-all. So, I mean, I think it, it requires a lot of discipline and belief to adhere to a process 
and not just look at the most recent results and say, did this work in this instance? You're exactly right. You have to, if you're going to follow the process, you have to to be able to accept the losses and the losses when you do everything you think is, is perfect. There's still, you know, you, you said 82% chance. There's still 18% chance. It's not going to go your way, but that's fine. You just follow the process. You, you keep on that, that process. And, um, and 82% of the time you're going to win. Yeah. It, in poker, we say ours solves for variance. So in that 82% example, if I do that once, I'm going to lose roughly one in five of them. If if I do that for enough hours, I know that those percentages are going to turn out in my favor. So it's I would say for me, I'm more of um, a strategic activity versus activity for the sake of activity person. Uh, but there is... You can beat the variance in anything that has a good strategy with with enough attempts or at bats. So, um, you know th- that's how I that's how I keep going on a daily basis. If I have a good plan that I believe in, then uh, you know I, I want to get enough sample size to make sure that it's that I can reap the benefits of it. Yeah, I think um, following that process and reaping benefits, I. I I, I do think a lot of salespeople out there, you know, both in logistics and SaaS, you know, throughout the every industry, are are, are the the, the seven two offsuit players who are just in every pot, and they they can't yeah. figure out what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> from a poker analogy standpoint, and with sales, right? Like in poker, it you'd think. Okay, well, if I just call every bet, then I see more hands and my chances of winning are greater. When the reality, the professionals want to play less hands more aggressively. Um, same is true for sales. Like I, I could speak to every, any person that would talk to me, or I could put my time more aggressively in the hands or the accounts that I have the highest likelihood of winning. So, I mean, I think once it's a bit counterintuitive, right? And I'm a startup yeah. sales guy. So in in my experience, I, I know what the pressure is like of somebody saying, hey, you're not making enough calls. You're not doing enough of activity X. And the reality is they may be right. Um, but it, it it shouldn't be activity for the sake of activity. So I'd rather make a hundred calls into a large account that I can win than make a hundred account calls into small accounts where I'm spraying praying and and my likelihood of success when I get that conversation is lower, or the value of winning that deal and that time is lower. So there's a lot of parallels to, to poker. There is the the. There is. So there's so many parallels. I, I could go on and on uh, about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. You have to pick your spots. You do have to see a lot of hands, right? So you have to make a lot of calls, a lot of contacts. You have to see a lot of hands, but you have to decide which hands are worth playing. And that, that feeds into the large accounts versus small accounts versus uh, deals that you can show real value to the, the, the companies that you can't really show the value in playing those odds and in playing those high value accounts. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so agree. so let's get into yeah. So so let's get into the conversation about supply chain tech and kind of the future of that and some of the trends that, that you're seeing. You're out at Manifest a few weeks ago. Uh, you talked to a lot of people out there. We we had some really good conversations about um, the the future of supply chain tech and kind of where that's going. So let's talk about it right now. Where, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think Manifest was awesome. It was a great show, and I think I went with a mindset of listening and learning, which is hard to do in a sales role because you're always thinking, what's the next, you know, is this person I'm talking to, can they buy something from me? I really intentionally went without that preconceived notion and just focused on listening and learning. And and I feel like I got a lot more out of it. Um, some of the stuff that I see coming in the short to medium term, that's exciting is I think there's so far to go with big data. Like if you think about the last five to 10 years, where 10 years ago, and I worked at Cubix for transportation management systems. So I know that most companies mid-market and SMB did not have a TMS 10 years ago, um, or at least a TMS direct to customers or to, to carriers. So the market presence of things like TMS and ERP and WMS and IoT all becoming standard things is such a generator of data. And I'm not, I don't personally believe that the strategic value and output of that data is being fully leveraged today. I think we're seeing companies start to take steps, some of these large data aggregation companies. But I think most of the problems that these systems are solving today is, can I get a truck? What is the rate? Where is my truck? Um, did I have a claim? That is all relatively tactical in a, in a single instance, and it helps companies to operate efficiently. However, the output of that data in aggregation, I believe will yield 10 to 20% savings for shippers. And I believe that the output of that data will allow for efficiencies that carriers and 3PLs ultimately can see that will help with pricing. Um, so I'm really excited about what, when we take all of the tactical problem-solving infrastructure data that's created and we start to aggregate it to say, how can I make systemic supply chain changes that drive my cost down? Um, I think we're in the early, we're in the infancy of that, where the framework and the data is being collected. But that analysis piece, uh, I expect to really accelerate here over the next few years. Yeah, you, you mentioned that it's early in, infancy, early innings, it's not fully leveraged. I agree completely. I don't even think uh, we've, we've made a dent or a tip of iceberg or whatever other analogy you want. I think, uh, it really hasn't started. And I, I think there's that, that is one of the areas as well, the big data, the, the, the uh, strat strategic kind of uh, vision for aggregating all of this data that we're now collecting. And we just started collecting in the last five or 10 years and putting all that together to, to make really good strategic decisions. Uh, you know, we, again, I mean, we haven't even started and it's, it's a very exciting kind of landscape and, and um, yeah, it just it just there's endless possibilities. 
Yeah, it, it, it really is. Uh, it really is amazing when you think about all of the data that's collected that, that may by itself not be valuable, right? But if you can mm-hmm. tie it to data that you're getting from other places, all of a sudden there's tremendous insights that, that you can glean. Um, the, the, the other area that I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what happens with is it all has to do with e-commerce, but basically the warehousing, robotics, Final Mile solutions that we're seeing enter the market. Uh, I think Final Mile in itself, it's already changing, but I think it's going to change tremendously, uh, whether it be drone technologies or robots in warehouses or third-party warehousing or, you know, the Uber effect of marketplaces impacting Final Mile. Um, I'm really excited to see and I think the landscape is going to be tremendously different um, within that space. Specifically, I think we're going to see big brands try and cut out some of the some of the middlemen around. Like I'm a huge uh, user of an app to get my groceries delivered. I think we are going to see grocery stores want to start retaining brand loyalty. Um, and having that direct relationship with their customer. So the space, I think about it from a consumer uh, because I know that when I'm ordering that way, there's a 30% margin that comes out of that product when I'm ordering groceries or food directly to my house. And for the small end of the market, I think that'll continue. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see the first, you know, the big box retailers and um, and then from a B2B standpoint, you know, products moving that way. Yeah, I can see the Publix, uh, Kroger's, Albertsons uh, taking control of that, you know, for for that brand loyalty. I, let's talk about warehousing a little bit and, and talk about some of the some of the trends in that. It's something that I don't, you know, I, I know a lot about trucking and other things, but, but warehousing... Uh, not so much. What are some of the big trends? I know Warehouse does, uh, you know, a digital marketplace. Um, you know, yeah. explain a little bit. About yeah. That. Uh, well, I, I'm learning as well. So I'm, I'm about three weeks into this. Uh, some of the things that have been really interesting to me are a lot of it for, for Warehouse. Um, a lot of the business is coming through third-party logistics companies. It, going back to your initial question on understanding the gaps in the value, I think for a lot of third people in third-party logistics companies, getting on-demand temporary warehousing and all of the complexities that go into that is time-consuming and expensive. Um, so... I think the flexibility that companies are operating with since COVID and how the market has just continued to to move around, um, that on-demand flexible aspect of warehousing is something that there's a tremendous need for, much of which is coming through third-party logistics solution providers, right? Their goal is to earn more freight and the customer's goal is to have a cost-effective supply chain that can quickly service markets that are important to them. So 
I've been surprised with the amount of business that comes through third-party logistics companies really as the solution provider and trusted advisor for for these shippers. So those are not the people playing seven deuce, seven two offsuit. Um, <laughs> you know, they're uh, they're they're playing aces and they've done a great job building relationships that are value oriented. Relationships driven by value versus relationships driven by relationships, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, do, do you get a sense for whether these are, are large 3PLs, like like top 100 3PLs that are doing most of the the, the warehousing or most of the, the the business, or are you seeing mid market and, and lower mid market 3PLs, freight brokerages getting more uh, in the warehouse space as well? So it's it tends to be the low end, the mid to low end of the top 100. There okay. there are a couple top 10 players, but I think for for the business that I'm in, most of the top 10 players have a huge warehousing footprint already. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that they don't have use cases where they need to support customers outside of that network. Um, but the majority are maybe like the 3PLs in the 20 to 50th rank uh, where yeah. they're, they're large and sophisticated, but warehousing is not their core competency. It's just a tool in their tool belt for how they drive a customer solution that also plays to their strengths from a network standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, this is a good environment to get in warehousing if that's not your core competency and it's a good way to, to earn, earn a little income, freight markets down a little bit, warehousing inventories are, are still resetting and still there's, there's a volatility in that market, right? Do you see volatility yeah. um, in the warehousing market right now? Is that something that, that, that you're surprised to see or or you're not seeing it? Uh, there, There's there's volatility. Um, I mean, it was turned upside down during COVID. Mm-hmm. So I think we're still in like a correction period. I mean, I've been... One of the things that was most surprising to me was price discrepancy regionally like I, I, mm-hmm. when i think about it it makes sense but it's not really something i'd considered prior to this so serving major markets it's like a, there was a project the other day that was um new jersey quoting in new jersey versus quoting in the midwest for warehouse space it's a, a factor of two or three x in terms of prices that are coming back. So it's, you know, everybody wants to be closer to their customer. Um, But the cost difference of that is pretty dramatic, which is why I think this really lends well to 3PLs in building a solution that meets customers' requirements, gives them an opportunity to earn more freight, uh, and and makes the warehousing component as cost-effective as possible. So... um, it's, it's interesting. Learning every day. Learning every day. That's, that's the best way to be. I, it's interesting. Also, we, we started off with big data and big data, you know, the, that, that metadata flowing in for these strategic supply chain situations. Like, wh- where do I put my warehouse compared to uh, freight costs, the delivery times, claims, putting all that together to, to build a strategy out is, is what we were talking about in, in the beginning, right? Right. Yeah, that's that's the that's the end 
goal. I mean, we're we're really in a collection process right now and, and are finding the best way ultimately to to go to market with mm-hmm. this data. Um, so it's, you know, there's, that's the hard part about data, I think, and why so many times we collect and collect and collect, and then it takes so long to figure out how to use it is because there mm-hmm. are a lot of options. And, you know, as a startup or any company, you just, you have to retain a, a level of focus on, on what's right in front of you to balance the, you know, end state. So mm-hmm. I think for us right now, it's really just about collecting as much as possible. I think in the short term, you'll see better benchmarking information as the lowest hanging fruit as to like, here's at a high level what to expect in region X for services Y. But there's a tremendous amount of directions we could go beyond that. There definitely is, and we will keep that conversation going. Ryan, thanks for joining us today on Put That Coffee Down. And before you leave, let's see that that hat. You can put it near the camera. I, I can't see it all that well. So, oh, that's great. That's great. Feel free to, to send me one anytime. And, um, you got and again, it. thanks for joining me. Thank you, Kevin. Have a, appreciate the time. Have a great day. You bet. You bet. That's Ryan Sullivan over at Warehouse. And that wraps up for... This episode of Put That Coffee Down here every Tuesday on Freight Waves TV, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expensive because when is expensive? I got expensive because when is expensive? I've been reading out of work. And I've been shutting out the start.